Hello, my name is James Pikeway, and welcome to the Creative Mornings in Dubai podcast. I'm the host, and we have a spectacular group of volunteers that every month work to bring you what I like to call the best brain spa your mind can have before you go to work. This is the podcast of our 58th event. The theme was Spectrum and the speaker was Dr. Opasana Gala. She is amazing. She's the founder and CEO of Evolve Brain Training right here in Dubai. What is Evolve Brain Training you're saying? Well, it's a neurofeedback centered institute that focuses on using non-invasive brain training techniques. You heard it, non-invasive brain training techniques to maximize the brain's true potential. We are going to reach into your mind and we're going to help you. We're going to help you make things just a little bit better. That's what's coming up on the podcast. You're going to love it. Why don't we dive right into it right now? Dr. Apasana Gala. Here we go. And I'm so happy to be here today and talk to you guys about my favorite topic, the brain. And for the longest time, as long as I can remember, I have been so interested and amazed by this uh, incredible organ of ours that lives in our head. Um, you know, when, uh, when we were kids, we used to have those little books where they ask you questions like, what's your favorite color? What do you want to be when you grow up? My mom recently found an entry from when I was 10 years old, and it said that I wanted to be a scientist. My favorite color kept changing, but what I wanted to be never did. And, um, you know, when I finished school, I decided to move to the U.S. because I knew there was more research I could do there. And I, I was 17 and I moved there all by myself. I didn't really know anybody in the country. I had no friends, no family. In fact, I'd never even been on an airplane before. So there I was, this scrawny little teenager, carrying three giant bags that weigh more than me, uh, ready for an adventure. And from then, I moved on to do my PhD uh, at Baylor College of Medicine in neuroscience, um, continued my love for the brain, and finally moved to Dubai a few years ago. So I had always kind of struggled with anxiety and anxiety-related insomnia. Um, you know, I was an anxious kid. I grew up with an anxious parent. So I kind of assumed that this was normal. This is how everybody lived. Um, and I had a lot of trouble sleeping. I would sleep for maybe three or four hours a night. And every third or fourth night, I would sleep for six hours, which for me was like amazing. And all of these problems kind of getting started getting worse when I moved to Dubai, because it was for the first time in my life, I didn't really have anything to occupy me, my time, and my brain. And I came across this little meme one day. Hope you guys can see it. So there's this girl who's like, oh, men fall asleep so quick, bro, what's the secret? And then this guy replies saying, oh, we don't create fake scenarios in our heads that keep us up all night. Now, while I don't agree with the gender stereotyping, but that was me. Um, you know, I, every little thing in my life, I would make such a big deal about it in my head. And while the real issue may be real and it might be small, but in my head, it's this giant, inconquerable thing, completely unreal and completely unnecessary. And it was really affecting my sleep. Uh, already, I was a bad sleeper and my sleep was just getting worse. Um, and I would just lay awake in bed trying to go to sleep and my brain would just not shut up. It's like somebody left the radio on in my brain and I didn't know where the off switch was. 
And I realized pretty soon I need to do something about this because this bad sleep was affecting every other area of my life, my focus, my mood, even my relationships. So that's when I heard about neurofeedback. Um, somebody introduced me to it and I was like, okay, I will try anything. I want to try it. I need to, I need to get better. So that was the best decision I made in my entire life. I mean, I have never, never seen, never slept better. My anxiety is dramatically reduced. The same situation that I know in the past would send me down a spiral or keep me up all night. I recognize it now and I realize that it has no power over me. And having undergone this transformation in me, I realized I had to learn more about what this neurofeedback is. So I decided to go back to the US, become trained as a neurofeedback therapist, came back to Dubai, tried it on my very lovely friends and family who let me try it on them, and saw just as amazing results as I saw with me. So that's when I decided to start my company, Evolve Brain Training, uh, which is at Business Bay, and we help people with Everything, as Kat mentioned, from attention, focus, to anxiety, stress management, improving your motivation, procrastination, all of these things. And it's all, all of neurofeedback is basically just using the ability of your own brain to self-regulate, to create lasting changes. So an analogy I often use to explain how neurofeedback works is imagine you're walking in front of a mirror and your hair is messed up. Now, when you look in the mirror, you get that information about your hair being messed up. So you fix it, right? That's exactly what we do with your brain. We show the brain its own activity in real time. And when the brain sees what it's doing wrong, it can essentially self-correct and self-regulate. Because our brains and our bodies, they know, they have a self-correcting mechanism, but only if they know what they're doing wrong. So that's where we come in. And the way we show the brain what it's doing is using EEG sensors that listen to your brain. And then you get feedback in the form of audiovisual inputs. So this method of feedback-based behavior change is neurofeedback. And it's based on the principle of neuroplasticity. Um, before I go into neuroplasticity, I just want you guys to appreciate how incredible our brain really is. So if you can all just close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think of a lemon. Okay, think of a lemon sitting right there in front of you. Imagine its round shape, um, the yellow color, pick it up in your hand, want you to feel the weight of it, want you to feel its texture, all the little bumps. You can even kind of smell the citrusy smell. Then I want you to imagine taking a knife and slicing it in half. And then you pick up one half of it Bring it close to your face. Take a deep whiff of that lemony, citrusy smell and squeeze that lemon right into your mouth so you can feel the tartness of the lemon juice, feel it dripping down your hands and in your mouth. And you can open your eyes now. So what did, what did everybody feel? Please, please feel free to use the chat box generously. Um, what, did you, what did you guys feel, think, taste, smell here when you did this little experiment? A sharp taste, it was there. You had the lemon sliced. Maybe. I... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you want a key lime pie. You got reminded of a memory. Some people's mouth started watering. You could feel the smell. Isn't that crazy? There is no lemon in front of you, but you can 
feel it, touch it, taste it, smell it. So that, that's, that is our, our brain. You know, it's made up of billions of neurons that make trillions of connections with each other. And if you think about all of the stars in our galaxy, your brain has more connections in your head than all of these stars combined. And it's these connections that are responsible for everything you think, feel, and do. Now, for the longest time, it was thought that these billions of neurons that we were born with are the only neurons we have for the rest of our lives. But we know now from recent research in the last few decades that this is not actually true. We continue to create new neurons in a process called adult neurogenesis, especially in a very important part of the brain called the hippocampus. And as I'm sure you know, the hippocampus is the part of the brain that's responsible for learning and memory. So if you have ever learned a new hobby or a new habit, it's because of these new neurons in your hippocampus. And knowing how important these new neurons, these new adult born neurons are to our continued learning, it will be interesting to know if we can actually increase our own neurogenesis, if it's in our hands or not. Fortunately for us, the answer is yes. It is actually in your hands how many more neurons you create as an adult. So we're gonna do a little pop quiz. I'm going to give you guys a bunch of um, activities and you tell me, maybe one of you can have your mic on, you tell me if it increases neurogenesis or decreases neurogenesis, okay? What about learning? Increases. It increases neurogenesis, so it creates new neurons. What about stress? Decreases. Decreases. That's will decrease neurogenesis. What about sleep deprivation? Decrease. Decreases. Decrease. Deprivation does decrease. Sleep is actually really important for learning and memory and to make sure that you create new neurons in your hippocampus. What about, let's say, intimacy? Increases. Increases. Yes, very true. But remember, it's all about balance. You don't want to be in a situation where too much intimacy causes sleep deprivation. <laughs> <laughs> about aging. Oh. Oh. Decreases. <laughs> decreases. It does decrease. However, neurogenesis continues to happen even as you get older, but it decreases. But it is in your hands. If you are aging and you're doing all of these other things like learning and being intimate, <laughs> um, exercising, all of these things, you can actually slow down the decline of neurogenesis even as you get older. What about physical exercise, like running? It's got to increase. It does increase. So not only does physical exercise increase neurogenesis, it actually makes the hippocampus bigger, it improves your learning and memory, and it also improves and increases the production of three really important neurotransmitters in your brain, dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. And these neurotransmitters are important for motivation, for your mood, they make you happy, and they're important for you to be able to focus and pay attention. So knowing how, how much physical exercise does for our brain, let's start off with just like a 30 second on the spot jog. I want you guys to just get blood and oxygen to the brain. I know it's a little bit early morning for some of us, especially those of us from Belgium. So, <laughs> on the spot jogging, come on guys, 30 seconds. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
gets your heart rate up, get more blood and oxygen to our brain. There's a lot of people not putting their screens yeah, on here. I can see that. On, I can see that there's a lot of people who aren't jogging. Yeah, I'm jogging. <laughs> Three, two, I one. Good job, guys. Stop sharing my screen. Okay. I hope everyone is feeling a little bit more awake than they were. Um, exercise is a much better way to wake your brain up than coffee. So... Um, you know, it's not only about the number of neurons. So it's great that we can create more neurons by doing all of these activities. But it also, it's also about the connections that our brain makes. So the more connections our brain makes, the more, the sharper we are, and the more neuroplastic our brain becomes. So before I go uh, into more detail about what neuroplasticity really is and how it works, I want you guys to do an ex another experiment with me. Okay? And I'm going to have to ask you to stand up again. No exercise, don't worry. Just stand up and raise your right arm and turn it as far back as you can go. And just pay attention to how far back you went. Uh, you know, just keep a track of what you can see. Okay? And then come back. All right. Now we are going to close our eyes. We're not actually going to raise our hand, but we are going to imagine, visualize it. So imagine raising your arm just like you did, and then imagine turning as far back as you did. So look at what you could, what you were able to look at. Imagine looking at that. Now imagine you're turning twice as far back. You're getting a really really good stretch. Feel the stretch in your body. Feel it in your chest and your shoulders, and you feel the twist in your back. Now imagine you're turning three times as far back as you did. So your body is made of rubber, it's like jello, and you're going all the way back. And we're coming back to the front, getting an amazing twist in your body. Now imagine you're turning four times as far back as you did. So you twist and twist, and you can go all the way around and go back behind. And now imagine twist, untwisting yourself and coming back to the center. And we're going to open our eyes now. And now raise that arm again. And now turn as far back as you can. And tell me who was able to go further this time than the first time. Yeah, me. Just a little. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What about all the, uh, let's hear in your comments, guys. Much further. So some of you would have been able to go a little bit further. Some of you would have been able to go much further. Twenty-five. Yes, much further. Yeah. So those Definitely. of you much further are much better imaginers <laughs> and visualizers. So tell me the people that uh, you know. Everybody, I think, would be able to go further, right? But a little bit or not. Do you guys think that you were physically incapable of going that far the first time? Yes. You were, so what was the block? Yes. You're not be able to go that far. It was in your brain, right? It's a mental block. And when you did this imagination or visualization experiment, you started creating a new pathway, a new connection in your brain. And then the more you thought about that, the more your brain was able to believe it and manifest it. Because for your brain, thinking of or imagining doing something is exactly the same as actually doing something. 
So if you look at the brain scan of, of, of somebody who is playing tennis versus the brain scan of someone who's imagining playing tennis, the same parts of the brain light up. In fact, they did a study with a group of athletes, basketball players, where one group was told to practice, in, you know, physically practice playing their game. And another group was told to imagine their practice, imagining their game tactics and what they're going to do. And then they tested both the groups and there was no difference in their performance. So that's how important the story you tell yourself in the head is. <laughs> um, you know, you, maybe everyone can have their mics off. So, you know, if you're afraid of talking in public and you keep telling yourself, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to suck. I'm going to mess up. People are going to hate me. I'm not going to be confident. Your brain believes it now. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Whereas if you go into it thinking that you're going to be great, you're going to be confident, you're more likely because your brain now believes that and will be able to manifest it better. And it's not just new age theory. It's actually based on the principle of neuroplasticity. That is how your brain really works. So let's do a couple of exercises now that help our brain's neuroplasticity. You know, exercises that will allow our brain to form new connections um, between its neurons. Um, for this one, I'm going to need your hands. So I want you guys to make a thumbs up sign with one hand and stick your pinky out with the other. Now you have the thumb up with the other hand and pinky out with the first. Do you guys have time to do that? Okay, now we switch both <laughs> together. Thumb and pinky, do both at the same time. And switch again. We're gonna do this five times, guys. Switch, switch, <laughs> switch, switch, and a couple more times. Switch and switch. Good job, guys. How was how was it? Tell me in your comments. Somebody's <laughs> like impossible. Cannot do. Not bad. <laughs> Possible, I think. So why the more you focus on it, the more you focus on what you're doing, you just right. got to be very conscious about it because it's not in our muscle memory to, to do that. So why exercise hard? You know, the right hemisphere of your brain controls your left hand and the left hemisphere of your brain controls your right hand. And usually our brain, our hands are used to mirroring each other's actions. So when you give each hand mm -hmm. a different task to do, it really confuses the brain but it is strengthening the connection between your two hemispheres. So the more you do this exercise, the stronger the connection between your two hemispheres becomes. And a brain that is better connected is better protected from future neurodegenerative diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. And do this exercise, you know, maybe you were not so good at it today, but the more you do this, the better and better you will get at it. Now, the idea is not to be better at this exercise, right? But the more you do this, the better generally you will be at hand independence. So if you're a musician, I know there's a lot of creative people in here. If you're a musician, it allows you to have a better hand independence if you're playing the keyboard or the guitar. If you are an athlete, it allows you to have fine motor skills that are better. And in general, if you're a multitasker like all of us today, it allows you to be better at that too. So it's a great exercise to uh, strengthen the connection between our two left and right hemispheres and to... Uh, protect us from future neurodegenerative You only need to do maybe for like a minute, a minute in the morning, a minute at night. And once you get better at this, okay, once you get really fast at it, then it's time to switch it up. Because the whole idea is to keep challenging and stimulating your brain not to be good at this exercise. So 
want to constantly challenge yes. your and that's what neuroplasticity is about. The best thing that you can do for your brain health to make sure that it's fit and sharp is to never stop learning. So whether it's learning a new musical instrument or a new sport or even a new hobby like crossword puzzles, make a pact with yourself to learn one new thing this year. And please don't tell me you don't have the time to learn something new because we all know that we spend hours and hours on our favorite device, our phones. Which brings me to the next topic. So I realized this myself too. I was sitting on the couch, you know, answering an email one day on my computer. And at the same time, I had Netflix on TV behind it. And then I was texting my friend on WhatsApp on my phone. And I realized, what am I doing? You know, how many screens is going to be enough number of screens? One of us, the first thing that they do when they wake up in the morning is look at their phone. Or the last thing that they do is look at their phone. Not even their spouse, but your phone. So, you know, we can't, even, we can't even be at a coffee shop waiting for a friend without spending that time on our phone. We have just, as a species, forgotten how to be bored. And I know this round sounds really silly, but being bored is actually a really important uh, activity for your brain. So, you know how people always say that, oh, our brains are so distracted. Our brains are not distracted. Our brains are just overstimulated because we're constantly bombarding it with information from our phones and emails and WhatsApp and Instagram and all of these notifications. So much so that if we are not in this extreme high level of stimulation, anything less than that is just not enough. And that's why when you're talking to a friend, you can't pay attention to them or you zone out because just talking to your friend is not enough stimulation for us or just reading a book is not enough stimulation for us. But we really, really need to relearn the art of boredom. Because when you are bored, when you're not constantly bombarding your brain with information, that's when your brain has the time to wander. And when your brain is wandering, that's where the magic happens. When your brain is wandering, that's when it has the time to make connections between all the different things you might have seen in your life. You know how sometimes you think, you're like, oh, this idea just came to me. That idea did not just come to you. That idea was probably forming in your head for days, weeks, months, or sometimes even years. But when you gave your brain that quiet time to, you know, finally start making connections between these things and give you this, um, you know, creative insight on something, that's why you get a, your best ideas when you're driving down a boring route or when you're taking a shower because your brain is in this relaxed awareness state where it has the time to think of creative solutions or think of novel ideas. So don't underestimate boredom, guys. Make it your friend. And next time you're waiting in line for your coffee, just wait in line. Or next time you're at a red light, just wait at the red light without picking your phone up. So, well, while we're talking, you know, talking about creativity and about this is creative mornings, right? Um, I want to do a little creativity exercise with you guys. So I'm sure you guys are going to be all amazing. Um, but this one I need you all to just, you know, everyone needs to interact with me in the chat box. Um, we're going to do the alternate uses exercise. So here's a pen. Okay. I know that I can write with this pen. I want you guys to tell me as many alternative uses for it as you can think of. What else can I use this pen for apart from writing? Yeah. Now I want to see as many answers as I can. The more, more creative, the better. 
Maybe, uh, Bhavika, you want to read out some of the answers? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we've got stir coffee, doorstop, spade. Use it as a hairpin to make a bun. Uh, magic wand. Uh, scratch or using it as a baton, conducting an orchestra, poking someone in the eye, <laughs> random. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to eat with, Nicole says she could eat with her pen. That is a very creative use. Uh, your scratch, weapon, your picker. Okay, a lot of us putting our pens in our ears. <laughs> using as a pointer, drumstick, bookmark, walking stick for tiny people. I, that, that's... I don't know why none of us thought of that. <laughs> uh, teasing your cat with it. Okay. Uh, scratching, hair clip, painting, straw, projectile, bite to relieve stress. Okay. Hand exercises for coordination. Pea shooter, cat toy, measurer, javelin. <laughs> Untie a nut. Very nice. Okay. Wow. Bookmark. Balance on nose. <laughs> okay. Uh, use the ink to ruin a perfectly good white shirt. I mean, yes. Why don't we think of that? A tie and dye shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Open up plastic wrapping containers, mustache, brush your teeth with. Hmm. I'm going to tell my dentist that the next time, Arifa. <laughs> Hand massage. Okay. Okay. Some that I've never thought of. That's great. This was a plastic. Oh, wow, we're going deep. <laughs> Picking our nose. Yes, deep and deep. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so, so, what is the point of this exercise, right? Um, we are activating our brain's abstract thinking abilities. And you know who is really good at this exercise? Kids. They are, they just can come up with like incredible ideas that you would never even have thought of because they don't have this concept of something called functional fixedness, uh, which we start forming you know, around childhood and then it gets stronger and stronger as we become adults. So functional fixedness is this idea that a thing can only be used for one purpose. And you know, when you give kids toys, they're so much more excited about the box than the toy. Why is that? Because the toy is just the toy, whereas the box, on the other hand, can be anything. It can be a board. It's a possibility. Old hole to another dimension. It can be anything. More excited about the box, and we have something to learn from that. You know, as we get older, we have these fixed ideas about what things can be. Also, fixed ideas of, of about what we can be, but they don't have to be like that. We know that we can move ourselves along the spectrum by doing whatever, you know, exercising in neuroplasticity, practicing boredom, being more creative, anything, you know, whether it's like memory focus, when people say that, oh, I have bad memory, I have bad focus. It's not something you have. Memory is not something you have. Remembering is something you do. Focus is not something you have. Focusing is something that you do. So the, it's a task and like taking away from, uh, you know, something you have to something you do gives you more control over it. And the more you practice, like any task, the more you practice it, the better and better you get at it. And you can move yourself along the spectrum. So you can practice getting better at focusing. You can practice getting better at remembering. You can practice getting better at being creative. And all of that, all of that is utilizing our brain's neuroplasticity. You move from one end of the spectrum 
and it's in our hands. We can do it. And let me turn my screen again. So I just want to leave you guys with my three favorite brain hacks. Never stop learning, practice boredom, and be playful like children. And that's it. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That that really, really was fantastic. Uh, Bavaka, do you want do you want to jump in here? Absolutely. Um, so, wow! Thank you so much, Upasana. That was amazing. I think it was like just possibilities first thing <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> so many possibilities. Um, yeah. So should we should we address our questions and answers? Yeah. questions and she'll give us the answers yeah, yeah? so why don't okay, you why don't do you that. curate a few of those and and let's see where it takes us yeah okay amazing um so one question is uh what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in clients in people uh, you've worked with so honestly the spectrum of people that come to me is really wide you know my youngest client is five years old this is 70 and they all come to me for different reasons, for a focus, for anxiety, for depression. So everyone has different results. Uh, but some of the best ones are, you know, people that used to be on anti-anxiety medications for, you know, 10 or 12 years. After working with me, uh, some of them are completely off medications. Some of them are on half dosage and reduced dosage. Uh, one of my favorite stories is, uh, you know, I had a teenager and the mom comes to me and she's like, I don't know what you did with my daughter. She comes home and gives me her phone, saying that the phone is too distracting for her so she can focus on school. And she would have never imagined her daughter to part with her phone like this. So, you know, there's, there's lots, lots of different examples, but they're very personal because people come to me for such different reasons. You know, I have like entrepreneurs or CEOs coming to like improve their um, productivity, motivation, procrastination. And on the other hand, I also have people going through depression or PTSD. So it changes okay thank you for that um okay there's another question which i so adnan has asked uh, what kind of impact would this have on someone who has adhd and i also had a question that how is this different from like how does this impact neurodivergent people versus neurotypical people because that's a uh, the brain training that i do neurofeedback how does that impact mm -hmm. yes yeah. Yeah. So the way it works is so we have, you know, uh, we have the client sit in a chair watching something on Netflix while their sensor is attached to their head. And these sensors are measuring and monitoring their brain activity. Now, say their main issue is focus. You want to improve focus, right? Then every time they are focused, the sensors will sense that and immediately the screen becomes full screen. It will be clear and the sound will be good. But if they get distracted, okay. other thoughts, then the screen starts getting smaller, blurrier, and sound will get more normal. Now the big screen and the good sound, they are a positive reward for the brain. Brain likes it. So brain will try to do more and more of the activity that gives it that positive reward. It will try to be more and more focused or more and more calm or whatever it is we're training your brain to do. And then eventually when you do this kind of training many times, because of the process of neuroplasticity, this becomes second nature to the brain. And then even when they're not in my office doing this exercise, they're at home, at school, trying to do their homework, the brain remembers these tools and techniques. 
So that's how we make changes in people with ADHD. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, there's another one. Um, what are bad brain habits to avoid? That's from Kiran. Oh my God. The list is endless. <laughs> but the number one thing, the phone guys, like honestly, you don't understand the harm you're doing. It affects your memory. It affects your focus. It affects your attention, affects your sleep quality, all of this kind of thing. So I really think one of the biggest difference you can make in your life is, you know, at least if you turn off your notifications. So, um, you know, go to your phone when you want to go to, go check your phone when you want to check, not because somebody texted you or somebody sent a notification. And also turn, put all of the time-sucking apps like Instagram, whatever, into a folder and then put that folder on like page three or four of your phone. So you're not immediately tempted anytime you have a few seconds of free time, you're not immediately tempted to click on it. Um, no screen times before bedtime. So, you know, one hour, at least an hour. And if you are going to use your phone in the evenings, please, please turn on, everybody, everybody has to do this. They turn on the blue light filter on your phone or on your Apple uh, iPad or whatever device you're using. That blue light is really bad for your sleep quality because it sends a signal to your brain saying, shut down the production of melatonin. It's not time to sleep yet. And so it keeps you awake. And even the quality of your sleep when you do sleep is bad because of that uh, lack of melatonin in your brain. So... I think I'm going to focus. There are so many uh, bad habits you can avoid, right? But I'm just going to leave you with two or three easy ones that you can do. Turn off your notifications. Don't use your phone first thing in the morning. Don't use your phone last thing at the night. And put all your time-sucking apps onto page number three. Okay. Thank you. We have time for one last question. Uh, and that one is, does stressing and thinking about different scenarios actually form, actually a form of learning which increases neurons? Stressing about, sorry, say the question again. Does stressing and thinking about previous scenarios actually f a form of learning? Is it a form of learning yeah, which so increases neurons? It doesn't increase neurons, but it strengthens these connections between neurons that make you more stressed and make you more anxious. And then these scenarios become stronger and stronger in your brain. And then they become mm -hmm. almost, even if they don't actually exist in real life, just because you spend so much time thinking about it, these become your well-traveled roads in your brain. And the more well-traveled it is, the more ingrained it becomes in you, and it's very hard to then get out of it. So that's, you know, you saw it in action when you guys did the hand experiment. Your brain really, right. just, every time you think of something negative, your brain is going to believe it and try to manifest it in your real life. Thank you. Hey, that's wonderful. All right, then. Big round of applause. That's really awesome. <laughs> what, what's Kat doing? What, what's, oh, snapping. Snapping. There we go. <laughs> Look, I, 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 we've, we, you know, there's so much more we would want to talk about. You but... have been listening to the Creative Mornings in Dubai podcast, the 58th event. Spectrum was the theme. Dr. Upasana Gala was our speaker. Huge thanks to Arches Audio for the theme music. And you know what? A huge thank to Potaholics. A huge thanks to Sajori. A huge thanks to Second Light Photography for all the help. And of course, an incredible, incredible group of volunteers that pull everything together. Kat, Rhonda, Richard, Bavaka, Swati, Michael. The list goes on. Thank you everyone for hanging out with us www.creativemornings.com or Google Creative Mornings and Dubai. Talk to you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast and share. <laughs>